the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Good to be back. I was on assignment a few days and I missed uh, things a little bit. So glad to be back and talk with you about what you need to know. It's the Pro-America Report. Please visit ProAmericaReport.com, ProAmericaReport.com. Lots of our great interviews there. You know, I'm beginning to think that this program is really, (laughs) you're going to laugh, a vehicle for other people to make me smarter in front of you because I get to interview so many great people and it makes such a big difference. In fact, today, two of my favorites, Ted Malik will be with us, the noted author and businessman and just an extraordinary guy. Um, And he will be with us. He's got a new piece over on American Greatness, amgreatness.com. And then we'll talk with Todd Benzman, who is my go-to guy on the border. He's been right on the border ahead of everybody. If you're not reading Todd Benzman, uh, you're crazy. CIS.org, the Center for Immigration Studies, is his website. CIS.org, click through. He's the National Security Fellow, Todd Benzman. We'll talk with him in a moment. But go over to ProAmericaReport.com. Because these great interviews where I learn so much, you will too. I mean, I'm pretty dumb on issues, <laughs> so it helps me to, to uh, get educated and you can come along for the ride. But, you know, we start the uh, program with what you need to know. And over there on the website, ProAmericaReport.com, you can sign up for the daily email. Start your day like we start this program with what you need to know. And I spend a lot of time thinking about things and looking at things and saying, how do I know that? Because, you know, we all think we we see things the same, or I should say differently, Everybody thinks the way they see things and understand things is how other people either should or do see things and understand things. And it doesn't, right? So we've got to help each other get to the point where we understand better and see things better. And that's what the segment, What You Need to Know, The Wink, The Daily Wink, is over at ProAmericaReport.com. And each day the program starts with that. So today's wink, I want to show you how, um, you know, how politics works, how public policy overlays with politics, and how for those people who think that politics is not informing public policy, you're just naive. And so you don't have to go back in time and say to yourself, uh, well, what was Fauci doing? What was uh, Redfield? I think that was his name at the CDC. What are these bureaucrats doing who the media tried to say were sort of godlike figures of science? They were just doing the truth of science. Well, we know politics was involved. We see it in the emails. We see it in, in, uh, in, the, in the now the post-game analysis where we know the truth on things. Same thing, by the way. With the 51, I think it was, inter- uh, intelligence community experts that told us that uh, it was Russian disinformation to look at Hunter Biden's laptop. That was a lie. And why'd they do it? Well, they did it because they can, uh, they, they, they hold themselves out as experts. And most people will say, oh, well, they're experts. You know, let's, let's listen to them. Well, we now know to cut through that, right? And in this case, let me show you very clear two examples, really obvious examples of, of how the, um, the politicians change their position on politics, and then they sort of lie about it. I mean, it's not exactly a lie. So here's the headline. Headline is, Department of Justice, Biden administration, will appeal 
the uh, the mask mandate being struck down, right? So the federal judge said the mask mandate by the CDC was too far. It exceeded the power of the federal CDC to tell everybody to wear masks. That was the federal judge's decision a few days ago. Now, if you want to appeal that, you can as a federal government. And so what, what it took the Biden administration two or three days, they finally said they had the CDC ask the Department of Justice to appeal, and then the Department of Justice appealed. Now, what's really going on here? The Biden administration and Psaki and Joe Biden went out then and said, oh, look, we're appealing. We want to reinstate the mask mandate, protect the CDC. But you see, they're lying. What they did was they knew they were in a problem, the spot. They're happy to have the masks gone. And their appeal is a fake appeal. Because even if you read the CNN coverage, which is always you know, spinning for the, the Biden administration, but certainly if you read the conservative coverage, you realize that the appeal the Department of Justice took is not an emergency appeal. You see, if you believe in the rule of mask mandates, then you would go immediately to court. You'd ask for a stay immediately. You'd say you must stay this, Your Honor, because you can't let this go into effect. And then we're going to appeal. They did none of that. They basically just said, um, down the line, we're going to file this appeal because we think the CDC should have that power. But we're not going to fight for a mask mandate. Not right now. Why? Because the politics is brutal. Nobody wants a mask mandate. You can spin it all you want. There was a poll out, I think a CNN poll or one of the liberal polls, and they said, oh, most Americans want mask mandates on planes. Nonsense. Nonsense. They may, they may answer a question that they think masks are you know, helpful or can keep you safe on a plane. I don't know. I don't know why they would say that. But they don't believe it. Trust me, I've been on planes recently. But here's, the, here's another example. Three days ago, Philadelphia announced, four days ago maybe, that they're going back to mask mandates. And they're going to mandate masks in indoor places. And the outcry from the citizens, from businesses, from schools, from parents was insane. And three days after they made the decision, amazingly, the Philadelphia Health Department said, well, we've got new data and we don't think we need the mask mandate. And they reversed themselves. My point is here is what you're seeing is that the politicians, the politics of this, they know that they can't do mask mandates anymore. They can't get away with it. Biden can't get away with it. Philadelphia can't get away with it. Nobody can do it because it's just wrong. It's absolutely abjectly wrong on every level. The masks aren't working. The mandates aren't appropriate, etc. But they don't want to say that. They want to have their cake and eat it, too. So Biden, the Biden administration is in this incredible position where they're opposing mask mandates they're willing to let that let that go but then they're going to court and they're basically having to go on the record saying we want mask mandates now i think it's a lose-lose i think what the biden administration doesn't understand is they're basically making everybody mad if you're crazy enough to want mask mandates right now then you're upset that biden isn't seeking an emergency stay and if you're normal and you want to get rid of mask mandates and you say we've run our course at the very mo- at the very least we've run our course at the very most it was way too much to for too long anyway you're looking at it saying, what are you guys doing? So it's a lose-lose. But my point here is, if you know the sort of kabuki theater, if you know what they're doing, what you need to know is the politics dictated this decision, right? The people, the polling, the the politicians calling up the White House, the politicians calling up the Philadelphia mayor's office or whoever it was saying, you can't do this. The business leaders saying, you can't do this. The airlines saying, you can't do this. All that happened was that the politics, we the people, got ahead of these people in office. However, you'll notice how they're doing this. 
They're pretending that the power of the health department in Philadelphia, the CDC and the government is something that must be defended because when it's useful, they're happy to run this out. They're happy to utilize the general public's deference, even though we're very cynical now and we don't trust a lot. We have general deference towards people who know stuff, right? It's the reason why the intelligence community trotted out 51 so-called experts, so-called former top-level intelligence community experts and officials. They trotted it out two weeks before the election in 2020 to say it's Russian disinformation because they knew properly executed, the narrative machine would take over and we the people would say, well, that's a lot of intelligence community experts and uh, boy, they, 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 they signed this letter and the way, the way it's being covered in the media, I guess that's a, you know, a, a late in the campaign kind of political thing and it must, maybe it's not true. Well, we certainly aren't going to cover it and it gave the cover to not you know, uh, uh, investigate for what, a year and a half until everybody admits it was true. So anyway, that's on the mask mandates. That's what's going on. That's how you can tell that we, the people and the citizens do have control. We do have control at this moment. We forced their hands, whether it comes to the national mask mandates, which are now struck down and they're not going anywhere. They're not coming back. And the, and the Biden administration is saying they're fighting for it. They're not. That's good. I, we just need to be done with it. And in Philadelphia, you see a local example. The Philadelphia, uh, 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 the Philadelphia municipal government says, oh, yeah, we're going back to mask mandates in every indoor places. And then the people and everybody else said, no, 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 no. And then Philadelphia engineered this, you know, Kabuki Theater Health Department saying that. My point, again, what you need to know today is the, the politics of the situation will always carry the day if we organize ourselves well enough, if our will is known well enough. If, if, the, if the politicians realize they can't get away with it, then they will stop doing it. But if they think they can get away with it, they will use the cover of science. They'll use the cover of national security. That's happening right now with the Ukraine situation. You're watching more and more weapons and more and more buildup by American uh, uh, weapons and American know-how. And people say, oh, it's national security. How is it our national security? That's another question we'll get to. But anyway, what you need to know, the mask mandate's gone. The Kabuki theater of the politicians continues. Just watch for it. That's what you need to know. All right, we'll take a break. We'll come back. We'll talk with Ted Malik, the great Ted Malik, as well as get an update from Todd Benzman on the glooming, glo- uh, excuse me, the, the looming and gloomy uh, problems at the border that are about to get worse than they've ever been. Be right back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Time to check in with my old friend, the great Ted Malik. Ted Malik, of course, a successful businessman, a professor, an author, and uh, a political, uh, well, I guess he's a political pundit, too, at this point, but he's been a participant at every level, I'd say, of uh, uh, world politics, uh, American politics, wrote a book on Trump. Uh, Welcome back, Ted. How are you? I'm great, Ed. So, first of all, I want to talk about your piece. It's over at American Greatness. The title is Flipping France. A Marine mm-hmm. Le Pen victory on Sunday would flip off the globalist crowd worldwide. First of all, again, Ted Malik, you've lived all over the world. I mean, you've lived over in Europe a long time. You've seen up close. Can she really win? Is that possible? Well, the polls, uh, to the degree any of us believe in polls anymore, Right. Uh, are now within the margin of error, about 4%. Hmm. So could she win the scenario in which she could win? And they have a complex and very different political system than ours. 
So obviously they have this runoff of 12 candidates or more, narrowed down to two. Now it's Macron versus Le Pen uh, on, on Sunday. There is only voting in person in France. There's, there's very little possibility for error or for cheating. You have to actually go to the polls, which is interesting. And our American harvester friends could learn something from that example. But yes, if the left, the far left, stays home and says, we, you know, about some both your houses, we don't want Macron anymore. He's a Rothschild banker that doesn't have our interests in mind. And we don't like Le Pen's right of center politics. Then, in fact, she could win. And, and, and Le Pen at this point has positioned herself as center-right, although with an edge, right? I mean, if you described her politics, Macron is center-left, right? And more, he's really just a corporate, uh, mostly a corporate, you know, big government kind of uh, guy. But it, it, how would you describe her in the, to the American, uh, you know, the American ear politically, Le Pen? She is a nationalist populist candidate. Uh, she has softened her image. She has uh, changed some of her policies slightly. And uh, I would say she's made herself much more appealing to the French uh, populace. She still is a right-of-center candidate. She is, I mean, they keep calling her far-right-wing, extremist, fascist, uh, uh, you know, everything under the book. I've met her, her people, I know her people very well. They are none of those. Obviously, they're running in an election. They are democratic by nature. <laughs> right, right, right. Exactly. Uh, okay. So, um, and what would it mean to the world? I mean, at this point, Macron is—he, I think he. What is he? He he bears the title right now as is he president of the European Commission or what? He's got some title in the EU right now as a rotating position, but he is sort of the guy uh, in a very prominent way. If he were to lose, is it bigger than Brexit? Is it the same kind of earthquake as Brexit? Yes, I mean obviously the presidency of the European Commission, you know, revolves every year, and France has it at this point in time. So, you know, that's it is consequential, but not not. Uh, I don't want to make too much of it. If he loses, it is a huge defeat for the globalist Davos crowd because he, more than anything else in Europe now, represents this highly globalist, eurocratic United States of Europe position, which is, of course, a diminution of uh, national sovereignty. So it, it, w- it would be earth shattering. It would be equal in stature to Brexit and to the Trump victory. That's why I know Americans don't follow European, particularly French politics so closely. This would really be a big deal. Is Le Pen, um, she's gotten a lot of attention for her statement on Muslim headscarves, which is silly because, I mean, it's not silly. It's one thing she said, which is um, about, you know, uh, 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 but her, she is a harder line on immigration than Macron. But is it possible in Europe now to be a member of the EU and have a real set of borders? I mean, effectively, the EU has has evaporated borders. No. Well, it has in the Schengen zone. Uh, not all the countries in Europe are members of the European Union, and certainly not all of them are members of the Schengen zone. So right. we have to make these, you know, kind of differentiations. I think that she would upset the apple cart completely at the European Union. She, you know, she's been a member of that debating society for some uh, eight or 10 years. She knows it very well. They despise her. And she would actually take a very nationalist position, try to uh, wheel back. Now, would she go for what's called Frexit, which is where France leaves the European Union? She says she's not in favor of that. She would rather reform internally the European Union and make it a 
kind of, uh, and I like this term, a Europe of nations. Mm -hmm. Uh, She gave me a very nice set of cufflings when I knew her some years ago (laughs) that has the term ENF on it. So I still have those. Uh, that's fantastic. Um, we're, we're talking again with Ted Malik and again, over at, uh, uh, American greatness, you'll see his writings there. Uh, this piece, he goes through one after another, what Le Pen stands for, what it means. I do agree with you, Ted. Most Americans don't pay attention to the politics. One more thing logistically to say it again, the French have a system that has a uh, initial election, then a runoff. So it's sort of a two, two elections within a few, uh, four or five weeks of each other. But to say it again, they have it on a Sunday. And you have to vote on that day. There's no I mean, there's no multiple weeks or anything of uh, mail in ballots or ballot boxes. They've done that forever. I guess the the one thing that the left would like is doing it on a weekend. Uh, They say it's better and all. But there's no um, messing around with the. No, 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 no questions of integrity. You have to vote in person. You have to show an identity. And this is generally true across all of Europe. So. If our Democrat leftist friends in the U.S. want to copy Europe, which they often are accused of, <laughs> maybe they should copy them on this. Yeah. All right, Ted, let me finish. I did notice uh, this earlier this week when I was uh, reading you, uh, following you up there, your piece uh, for Easter. I thought it was very well done, very um, uh, clever, but, uh, you know, the the and important, uh, the good news of Easter in this time, Easter season. Uh, you know, give me your uh, thoughts and, and your, your, you know, you've I think you've had a turn. We could talk a greater length about it in the last uh, few months where you're more reflective or at least it seems to peer through your writing. But tell us about this piece that you published a few days ago. Well, I, I think it is important for Christians in particular, those people of faith uh, on Easter and, and during the Lenten season to focus their attention and their meditation on the life of Christ, you know, on the stations of the cross, on, you know, on the, on the resurrection, and which is what I try to do in a short, you know, 1200 word piece. I think the biggest breaking news story of all time happened in 33 AD. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I went to the tomb and the stone was rolled away. And of course, our Lord was resurrected. So I go on in that piece to talk about the consequences of the resurrection, which yeah. is something we should all be prayerfully concerned about, because there is no truth. There is no beauty. Uh, I think there is there there is very little honor in the world without a focus and without an attention on the life of Christ. Well, and so not to take everything. First of all, it was it was well done as usual. You know, you don't need me to tell you you're a good writer, and that it has a that carries itself this uh, piece. Um, but I will inevitably because we're doing a radio interview. Um, Ted, in your life, the shift towards a secular America it it's not not to say it surprises you, but it the speed with which it's happened is is stunning, isn't it? I mean, it's uh, you, it you know, has you know, this has happened over our lifetimes, Ed. Yeah. So, uh, you know, do we bear responsibility for it, um, you know, in, in part, but it is also, you know, very dis- disappointing because uh, I would say from the 1960s on, we've, we've been on this downward incline, this, this slope. <clears throat> That's even more radically the case in Europe, by the way, where, where Christianity is, is a nominal faith, if, if a faith at all, 5%, 6% of people actually attend religious services. We're not at that point in the United States yet. 75% of people still believe in some form or another of Christianity, even if they don't practice it. Church uh, membership, church attendance is, you know, still over 50%. So there is a modicum of hope if we can coalesce around that. And of course, that's been my lifelong ambition as a Christian uh, in in the public arena to bring people 
to the public square, uh, you know, uh, able to confess their, their faith. Well, and, and, and not to too, put too fine a point on it, but there is a part of me that thinks if you don't have some values, you have no values, the system doesn't work very well, right? I mean, it just doesn't, if there's not some instinct that's in you, that's cultivated to, for example, to, you know, uh, be honest or to at least understand honesty is the, is the aspiration and everything, then, you know, it's just about power and it's just about, it doesn't matter. Stealing an election, for example, is if you can get away with it, that's the key. If you can fortify the election so your guys win, then you got away with it. And it's not a, there's nothing wrong with that. That's how it, it, it plays out. It seems to me, and you see it in Europe as well as in America. Well, yeah, indeed, there's nothing wrong with theft. There's nothing wrong with murder. There's nothing wrong with anything that we would typically call sin. So uh, there's, there's no need for, uh, you know, for the resurrection or for a Messiah of any sort yeah. because you do what you're damn well pleased to do. Yeah. But the, the world is not ordered that way. It wasn't structured that way. God didn't create it that way. And his son was not offered up to the world uh, by the Father uh, you know, with, with that in mind. So I, I think we do need to turn our hearts and our reflections, as I know you do daily, back to God and, and to the Christian message. Yeah. All right, Ted Malik, as always, thank you very much for your piece, uh, both pieces, the one on Easter, which is wonderful inspiration, and then this piece on update on France. Uh, we will talk again very soon. Thanks, Ted. Uh, that's Ted Malik, everybody. We will take a quick break. And when we come back, We've got a lot more. Don't forget, you can listen to Ted's recent interviews with me over at ProAmericaReport.com. ProAmericaReport.com. There's probably, uh, I don't know, eight or ten of them over there. Check them out. And uh, we'll take a break. Be right back. Ed Martin, ProAmerica Report, back in a moment. Welcome back, everybody. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Time to catch up with Todd Bensman. I mentioned earlier in the program, Todd Bensman, of course, is over at the Center for Immigration Studies, CIS.org, Senior National Security Fellow over there. Uh, and he is down at the border quite a bit. He's tracking things. He's been a, uh, he hasn't been a canary in a coal mine. He's been a, uh, uh, what is it, the uh, town crier. He's been the national crier out there for <laughs> months uh, and saying, hey, uh, pay attention down here at the border to what's going on. So uh, welcome back, Todd. How are you i'm doing great glad to not be the canary <laughs> that's right hey so um i i will say this the national media does seem to now be covering the um title 42 shift you've been co- talking about it for months um and and may is when it would change they are paying attention a little bit more um and now democrats are making more noise i think because they're really worried about the politics of it w- what's happening with the national conversation on the border do you do, is it really shifting or am i just hoping no i think it is really shifting because it's the biden administration and democrats who are now coming out, uh, making noise about it and worried about it. The administration came out with some reporting saying that, you know, they are having to prepare, like physically prepare for as many as 18,000 migrants a day. Uh, And that's something that's beyond the American experience. I mean, we're already beyond the American experience now with the numbers we've got pushing 3 million since inauguration. But uh, now this is something that I think they realize is a political extinction moment for them, and they're worried about it for the midterm. So uh, there are Democrats, uh, senatorial uh, incumbents, 
who are coming out against lifting the Title 42 just because of the optics that, that the, what, what will happen to them in their elections, that they could actually lose the Senate. Democrats would really significantly lose the Senate over this. So now the media is paying attention. Uh, we're talking again with uh, Todd Benzman, uh, CIS.org. You go to Todd Benzman and also his uh, book, of course, America's Covert Border War. Um, I, I heard a commentator, Todd, by the way, um, describe there was, I think the one of the newspapers, New York Times or Washington Post, actually did quote, and they said something like, um, you know, 23 people last year from the terror watch list were detained at the border. And whoever the commentator was said, but they didn't tell us where they were from. Are they Mexican? And I laughed and I thought, well, Todd could tell you his book on that subject. <laughs> but but that story, it seems to be getting a little bit more attention. Uh, I, I don't know whether you feel that, uh, if you've noticed that. Yes, I have. Uh, now... <laughs> So that's that's funny that somebody thought that they, they didn't know what the nationalities were. And they, right. they, they said that out. They right. said that out loud. But, um, yes, this is uh, fairly standard. It's it's uh, I've always reported. I, I report in my book that every year we get about 20 uh, people, migrants crossing the border or attempting to cross the border who are on the FBI's terrorism watch list. So this is in line. But there was a new piece of information to that, which is uh, there was a congressional inquiry from Chip Roy's office, Congressman Chip Roy's office, who actually said the number is 42 in 2021, that 42 terrorist watchlisted migrants crossed the border, uh, which is really alarming if that's the case, uh, because we have probably 650,000 migrants have gotten away un detained through the border when it's in it's in complete chaos and crisis so all systems america's covert border war are you know derailed at the moment Hmm. so uh the 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 threat of that sort of thing is is elevated and uh the reporting is out there that these are just people who are watch listed there are plenty of other people from those countries that are crossing over the border who are not watch listed, who might very well also be a danger in the same way. Uh, again, we're talking with Todd Benzman, CIS.org, CIS.org. If you go to his author page, you'll see his writing uh, uh, posting there. All right. So, Todd, um, we, Todd Benzman, we, we're at the moment now. We're about four weeks, five weeks from Title 42 um, expiring, I think, that technically. Um, and you just mentioned that the border is chaotic. But what's what's the prospects for a change? I mean, okay, we're getting coverage of it and everybody's seeing what you've been saying for six months or longer. Uh, but what are the prospects of a change? Well, I think that, that we won't see the lifting of title 42 on May 23rd. Like oh, they're really? saying, really? I'm starting to get, I'm starting to get the feeling. I'm not willing to bet a paycheck on it just yet, but <laughs> okay. there is, there is talk of delaying this, uh, at least, I mean, and cynically, right. Uh, until after the November midterms, oh. they, oh, you know, I they'll see. come up with, they'll come up with some kind of a, uh, there's a new variant, uh, you know, some pretext to, to delay it just another couple months, just a few more months, you know, because like I said, this thing is really an extinction event. If you have 12 and 18,000 people a day, 540,000 a month, all those television crews are coming back from the Ukraine-Russia border. 
to cover ours. You can't avoid this thing. This is going to be the biggest story in right. the country when that happens. And I think that they just have to avoid that. So I don't know. I'm getting close to betting that paycheck that it's not going to happen. <laughs> well, and so so that that stops that, but that doesn't change anything else at the border, right? No, it just means that it's delayed. Uh, after the election, you'll have it. Uh, you'll have that same crash, uh, that wave crash. But but also, it's almost too late because the anticipation and within the aspiring migrant world is already set set it off. So they're already just smashing mm-hmm. over the border. They are swamping, drowning everything down there already. They can't keep up with just the anticipatory uh, crash o- over the border that's happening right now. Uh, they, they, they can't in many areas even carry out Title 42 right now because the Border Patrol agents are too busy processing them all in. And so they can't even load them up and bring them back to the bridges uh, now. So, I mean, in effect, there are areas uh, in the, in the, especially along the Texas border where Title 42 is already effectively over. So I think it may even be too. I think the genie may be out of the bottle there. Is the um, so uh, is the uh, the politics of it uh, overwhelming? Um, if it's overwhelming, as you mentioned, they're going to delay the Title 42. Is there any chance that it's going to overwhelm the general policies of Biden or is he sort of stuck with them, hoping no one will notice? Well, one thing that I've noticed is that all of the hard left progressive and I mean hard left, crazy, crazy progressive advisors who caused this thing at the very beginning, they were given control over the policy are gone. They have all resigned, or most of them have resigned. I think there's still some in there in protest, usually, because the administration was like, hey, wait a minute, man. You know, we're we're getting in trouble here politically. And they started to do things like, uh, you know, airlift deportations in mass. And they kept Title 42, and this really pissed them all off. And so I'm hopeful that maybe more pragmatic Democrats, you know, Clinton type Democrats, Obama type Democrats who were never this open borders, never anything like this, uh, have maybe taken the helm and maybe uh, they'll try to, you know, do some some Trumpian things that actually worked. But it's just a pipe dream. I actually don't really believe that's going to happen. I'm just hoping it does, but you know, it is. Um, we're talking again with Todd Benzman. And if you go over to center for immigration studies, cis.org, you'll see his, uh, his page uh, and, and his writings on this subject. He, a piece a couple days ago uh, with co-authored with Mark Krikorian, who's from the center of immigration studies also about the immigration deal with Texas, the Mexican border States. They're so such a mess. They're, they're willing to work with Texas, but they're not getting any help from the federal government. Is that the basis, just to that story? This is fascinating. What happened is Greg Abbott, governor of Texas, put in place a very innovative, ingenious policy. They used the Texas Department of Public Safety safety inspection of, of trucks to shut down trade from Mexico. They, they shut down trade at all of the... America's busiest bridges. 
And within days, the Mexican governors on the states across from Texas came to the bargaining table Mm. And they cut deals with Texas to shut down the illegal immigration on their side. Huh. And they have four deals with four different states. Uh, this is really unusual and interesting because it's essentially a state taking diplomatic prerogative from a, pre- from a White House right. to force a, a sovereign nation to do its bidding. Uh, now, the, we, we, it's still too early to know whether it's going to work, but Greg Abbott says that if he's not satisfied, he's putting the troopers back up on the bridges and he's going to shut them down again. Hmm. So look, look for that. That's going to be something yeah. really to watch right now. The national media got preoccupied with this thing where they're busing migrants to Washington, D.C., but that's just a silly sideshow. Yeah. This is the main event this thing at the, at the bridges where they're doing safety inspections. It takes like three Texas troopers to just shut down the entire trade from Laredo, the busiest port of entry in America. Well, and, 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 Todd, and Todd, you know, Todd, this is an interesting question because I was reading a biography of um, Tip O'Neill and Tip O'Neill was speaker of the house during the Reagan years. And Tip O'Neill ha- had a, had a certain um, affinity for Latin America, you know, he was, that was his thing. And he, he gave talks and he said, well, I, you know, Reagan could be in charge of his uh, stuff, but I'm in charge of, I'm going to be in charge of what I want Latin America. And it was specifically foreign affairs. Of course, the constitution leaves most of the understanding of foreign affairs with the executive branch, right? The presidency. Um, so there's an interesting te- tension to lay out there. Like what, what would happen if the Republicans controlled the house next January and they said to the president, we won't approve your budget. We won't give you anything if you don't adjust your policies here. Or alternatively, in this case, which is very interesting, as you point out, could the um, could the House say to uh, uh, or could the House support U.S. House support um, Texas and other governors, Texas's governor and others and saying, hey, you, you know, do this policy like this. I mean, it's a, a conservative should be nervous, right? Because uh, this is sometimes what we worry about, right? You'll get California will um, a liberal, you know, will push their uh, woke agenda on the world because they have a huge economy, right? You got to be careful what you hope for. But it certainly seems possible. And you could make an argument that this isn't about wokeness and and sort of, um, you know, I mean, California has a law they passed that said they have to have a certain um, diversity makeup of corporate boards, for example. Well, they could try to make it so every board that does a business, every company that does business in California has to have that same thing. Well, it gets pretty close to making everybody do it. But that's different in a certain sense. You could make the argument of a national emergency where we're, our nation is being invaded. Uh, but that's really interesting stuff to think of the governor it really, of Texas. Yeah, it, it really is. It's uh, just absolutely ingenious. And if, if it works, it's even really a, a ingenious, yeah. you know, yeah. uh, but at this, at this, at this point, you know, we don't know if it's going to work. Uh, but, you know, the governor of Texas with like a handful of yeah. state troopers <laughs> took over, took, yeah. took, took the state department's job over yeah. with Mexico. Yeah. It is something. That's something to think of. All right. Todd Benzman, thank you as always. It's busy to be Todd Benzman of the Center for Immigration Studies, the Senior National Security Fellow, uh, checking on the border. We appreciate it, Todd. Be safe out there. We'll talk again soon. Thank you. All right. We'll take a break, everybody. And don't forget, go over to ProAmericaReport.com, ProAmericaReport.com, and you can listen to all of our interviews with Todd. Uh, we'll be right back. Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report back in a moment. 
This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report, a daily broadcast from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, and we're upholding the legacy of Phyllis Schlafly, grassroots activist, author of 27 books, and articulate voice for traditional values for more than 70 years. Now, here's the president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, Ed Martin. What would you call an adult who asks eighth graders very personal questions about their sexual likes and dislikes? If you're a dad like me, you probably call that person a creep or worse. No adult has the right to ask hypersexual questions of eighth graders and then instruct the kids not to tell their parents about what was discussed. Normal people call this grooming, but your local school board might call it teaching. This exact scenario played out in Enfield, Connecticut, where a public school gave eighth graders a sex questionnaire using pizza toppings as euphemisms for sexual acts. The children were told to build their favorite type of pizza using what sexual acts they were comfortable with. Outraged parents flooded to the next school board meeting to voice their concerns. Laughably, the response from the school board was that the assignment was given by accident. They actually claimed to have accidentally shared the wrong page from the curriculum. The parents of Enfield can decide what they want to believe, but I don't buy that story, not for one second. These creeps asked children about their sexual preferences and then claimed it was all a mistake, like a bad episode of To Catch a Predator. However, let's humor them and pretend that what they're saying is true. If they really did hand out the wrong page from the curriculum, parents should be asking why their schools are using this creepy curriculum in the first place. Any curriculum that treats this sick behavior as normal cannot be trusted to teach our children. Either way, the first thing parents need to do is stop treating this as if it's normal. These adults should not be asking children about sexual preferences, period. It doesn't matter if they're teachers. This is still creepy. Any our little secret relationship between teachers and students is dangerous and it's unhealthy. They want you to think that you're alone for thinking so, but any parent with half an ounce of common sense will agree with you. Do what the parents of Enfield did. Band together, rise up, and make your voices heard. Parents and grandparents, jumpstart the education of that child you love so much with a proven phonics course. With Turbo Reader, anyone at any age can learn to read. For free information on Phyllis Schlafly's Turbo Reader, call toll-free 1-866-TRY-TURBO. Open the door to a lifetime of reading and self-motivation. Call 1-866-TRY-TURBO. Thanks for listening, and join us again for the Phyllis Schlafly Report. Welcome, welcome back, Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report, and let us finish up as we head into the weekend, besides saying thank you to the great Noah Dingley, our producer, and Joanna Spilger, associate producer, I want to point you in a direction, and this is important. Because after my interview with Todd Benzman, I went back and read at the Center for Immigration Studies, I read what they're writing there, CIS.org, as well as his book, uh, The Covert Border War. And I here's what I want to tell you. I want to encourage you to make Todd Benzman the go-to guy and CIS.org the go-to site to understand what's happening with immigration. If you want to understand the immigration battle... You cannot read any of the mainstream news sites. Even Fox News doesn't cover it well. 
So you must go and find good sources. And this is my pitch. Use Todd Bensman. His interviews on this show are great. So you could just use them. But his writings are spectacularly valuable. And the one that's um, just recently about the Texas uh, deal that was made, um, that was done. He wrote that. Um, with Mark Krikorian, who's with, I think, the president of the Center for Immigration Studies. You just got to track these guys. Use their website to, to as your resource to understand these issues. The, this is, as he said, this is a, um, uh, what was the phrase that Todd used? Um, I, I, I get a life-altering, uh, some, some phrase about how it's, it's, it's the most important issue at the most important time. And this Title 42, if it's truly relaxed, it will be transformational. It's already transforming the country. We don't even know it. So CIS.org, Todd Bensman, use that as your resource go-to to understand what's happening, okay? All right, everybody, have a great weekend. As always, thank you for listening. Go to ProAmericaReport.com, sign up for our daily emails, and we will be back next week. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. Talk to you then. Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.